It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 105, The Revenge of Goliath. The battle raged all morning until they arrived at a low valley on the far side of the western slopes headed down to Philistia. Thousands of Philistines were slain between Jerusalem through the valleys of Rephaim to the plains of Philistia. But at a great recess in the land, a huge giant stood shouting defiance to Israel. Dead Israelites lay at his feet. Israel's advance ended this great recess in the land. Even the mighty man stopped to glare at this beast of a man, whose spear was huge and tipped with a club-like spearhead, while an enormous sword was sheathed at his back. Bring me David. Bring me David. Bring me David. Eliezer had had enough. In fury, he walked away from the cluster of his men, but he was held back by another mighty man. When the next challenge came forth, I challenged David, and David alone. Bring me the lion, and I will kill him here, right here. We put an end to Israel's rule in this age, today, now. Eliezer refrained, not wanting to take any glory from his king, and so did dozens of mighty giant killers who surrounded this beast from a height on the western ridge overlooking the valley, and it wasn't long before hundreds of bows were trained on this giant, which could have cut him down in seconds. But the king was challenged, and no one wanted to take glory and honor from their king. David could hear the fury of the giant's challenges from a great distance, and his blood boiled, yet he smiled. Approaching the ridge, David shrugged off the concerns of his men, for he was not young anymore. In his forties, approaching his fifties, graying hair and lines on his face, he was not a young man anymore. In his youth, he killed the brother of this beast, and he would kill this one as well. His armor-bearer followed close behind carrying an assortment of weaponry and armor for the contest. I will kill this man and regain the respect of my men, David thought. I've been training for the last few years for this moment, for the men to see me as their equal again. I will regain the honor I have lost with Uriah and even Eliam, and Ahithophel will respect me again. This is my opportunity to earn their respect and time to change things back to the way they used to be. Joab approached the king as inconspicuous as he could. My lord, I don't believe you should take on this giant. And why is that, David said as an armor bearer tied his armor at his back. We, he said, gesturing to himself and his brother Abishai nearby, are not young anymore. Let the youngsters show their mettle against this man. I will not forgo glory for the sake of fear, David said. Then share your glory with your soldiers, Joab pleaded. David stared at him and turned and walked towards the ridge and the beast in the valley. His enormous size came into view and David's pupils widened. Joab persisted and followed him and put his arm on his shoulder. David, do not do this thing. I must, Joab. It is my duty. My king, take a break, and we shall fight him later. 
David continued and ignored all the pleas of Joab. And as Joab continued to plead with David, Abishai put his hand in front of David's armor-bearer, who trailed behind David, and stopped him, seized his packs, and continued behind David in the place of the armor-bearer. As David approached the valley, the giant erupted in vile swearing and cursing by his gods as the Philistines echoed a chorus of chants and defilements and jeers for their champion. Today I get revenge for my brother's death. I have waited decades for this day. Today you die, David. There was no solemn decree by the king. There was no stately declaration of God's faithfulness. Just a man with his armor bearer behind him carrying two packs, walking out to fight a giant. David turned to his armor bearer and noticed Abishai. What are you doing here? Man, do you really need all this stuff? Abishai said, referring to his armor and the weapons for the battle. Just take the sword. That's all you need to kill this upstart. There was sweat upon David's forehead, and there was tremendous fear upon David as he looked at Abishai. He put his hand on Abishai's hand. Thank you for coming and being with me, my nephew. David said as he took the sword and turned around. Abishai lowered David's pack and dropped it and walked back to his position with his pack, not off the field of battle, but distance enough for a normal man to not interfere, for armor bearers were not allowed to interfere in challenges unless there is permission granted or interference by the other armor bearer. Abishai looked over at the fool behind the giant, the Philistine armor bearer, and laughed to himself. No worry there, for he could see the fear in his eyes, but there was an element of mischief in his demeanor. Then he remembered the fear in the king's eyes, King David. Yes, he recognized the fear. It was full-blown, the same fear that causes battlefield paralysis. If nothing would be done today, David would probably be dead, because he never knew a man who had that look in his eyes that survived a battle. It was the fear of death. It had overtaken David when he first looked upon the giant. The giant had raged for he wanted revenge over David for the death of his brother, a revenge decades in the making, and in the contest of rage versus fear, rage always wins in war. David looked like a mouse compared to this vile brother of Goliath. Furiously, the giant ran towards David, his steps causing the earth to shake, until he stopped within 30 feet of David. David didn't move at all until the giant hurled his huge spear at him, where David narrowly dodged it to the right as a giant swung his sword violently in a swath in the direction of David, who shuffled back to his left, getting within striking distance of the giant. When the giant flung his shield in front of him, crashing into David's shield, the force hurling David backward ten paces. David shook his head and stood up and blocked sword thrusts with his shield until he was thrown back again and the giant threw down David's shield and ripped his sword from him and hurled it to the ground where the giant's armor bearer came up and retrieved it. Then Abishai noticed the interference of the Philistine armor bearer for he retrieved the giant's spear and handed it back to him. The giant pinned David to the ground by standing on the hem of David's garments but it didn't matter. David was frozen due to the pain in his bruised ribs and back and the fear caused by battlefield paralysis. Do you recognize this spear, David? The giant snarled. David didn't answer. 
It is my brother's spear, and with it I kill you now and in your pestilence from the earth. David closed his eyes, knowing the end was near. But instead of piercing horrible pain in steel and bone, he heard metal and metal grating and a tearing of air pressure above him. Abishai's long metal chain swirled around the spear at the moment it neared David's chest, and the intensity of the pulling back of the chain uplifted the spear and the shoulder of the giant instantly dislocating the connection between the arm and the chest, causing the giant to stagger and drop the spear upon his own foot, causing him to fall to the right, opening up a gap in his armor, and before he hit the ground, Abishai buried a spear between the armor and the ribs of the giant, falling him and leaving little time for decision. Abishai ended the contest by taking the head of the giant. Then the Philistine armor-bearer pulled out a sword and rammed at Abishai, only to find a dozen arrows instantly pierce him dead. Next, hundreds of trained Israelite bowmen opened up on the shocked Philistines, and the pursuit of the Philistines continued until they hid in their cities, refusing further battle for not even their giants, and the remaining three brothers of Goliath could not persevere against Israel. At daybreak, David sat uncomfortable upon a stump at a campfire as the men of Israel walked by their king, presenting to him the spoils of the battle and the Philistines. The procession went on for over an hour, for Joab insisted all of Israel see their king alive and well. After the procession, the men of might, over thirty of them, came around the king and took a knee, and they stood up, and it was Eliezer who kneeled again and spoke without looking David in the eyes. My Lord, when I saw today, and when I look upon that horrible moment, when I saw my king nearly die before my eyes, I see it again, a vision of an Israel without King David, and I cannot bear it. You, my Lord, are the light of Israel. You are the Lion of Judah. You are the greatest king we have ever known, but Israel cannot lose you. We cannot lose you. For this reason, I am willing to give my life for yours. Never again can you go before me in battle. Your life is worth more than mine. With this, he fell prostrate before his king. Tears of pain and tears of shame and tears of honor poured down David's face. He looked at the other men and asked them, Do you feel the same? Without words, they all knelt to the ground and bowed low before their king. David hung his head low and cried until Eliezer spoke again. Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. And in honor, David agreed to all that the men asked of him. Hope you enjoyed this fictional interpretation from 2 Samuel 21:15. Here is the biblical account. Once again there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel, 
David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. As you can tell, we enjoy taking relatively unknown, limited in detail biblical stories and running wild with them and giving them context and detail and as much flavor and possibilities as we can find. Why? Because we enjoy it and it helps to understand what could have been. Why did David fail in battle? Was he too old at this point? Well, he was pretty old. But Moses was ancient when he went into battle, and Joshua was anywhere from 60 to 90 years old when he took on multiple armies. So this can't be the case for this reason. It's because he fought in his flesh, most likely, and he wasn't walking in his previously amazing, all-powerful walk with God, and his relationship with the king of kings was faltering. Abishai wasn't a youngster either when he saved David, And we write in the detail of the honorable discussion at the end, for he was still loved by his men, for they were trained by him in the wilderness, and they never forgot David and the things that he had done for them. So we don't know for sure the dates, but we stated David was at least 45 at this point, and there there will be many more battles with the Philistines. And also there's just way too many debates by scholars who these other giants are. Are they the brothers of Goliath? Or are they sons of Goliath? Or just other giants? I'm going to spare all the different opinions from all sorts of scholars and interpretations and go with the common opinion that they were all brothers, Goliath being the oldest. So following this opinion, there was five brothers that were giants. And following this line of thinking, there is something really cool. David picked up five stones from the brook when he killed Goliath. And there was five brothers or five total giants. David had in mind, or prophetically had in mind, five giants would be killed by him and his kingdom. And that's awesome. Here's the account of the other giants. 2 Samuel 21, 18. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushahite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. 2 Samuel 21.19 In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanah, son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with the shaft like a weaver's rod. 2 Samuel 21.20 and still another battle, which took place at Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in all. He also was descendant from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they fell at the hand of David and his men. 
I mean, that's totally straight from the Princess Bride. You know, the freaky guy with six fingers. But seriously, these are some of the last of the Nephilim that go all the way back to the beginning. Even the days of Noah trailing into Joshua's time frame. And it's the, the last of the Nephilim that get killed off in David's age. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, instead of taking a practical application, let's do another fictional interpretation to set the stage for David's family struggles. And just to be clear, the next scene is fictional, and it's when David and Joab and the army return from the battle to Jerusalem. Joab looked up at the city gate and the entrance to Jerusalem. Two of those Philistine gold pieces, if those wretched sons of David are at the city gate. You're on, bro, Abishai said. The streets were covered with cheering ladies and dancing, and there was singing, and the Levites led the way carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As the Ark entered the gate, the crowd erupted and trumpets blasted, and every tower and gate was covered by cheering, exciting, worshipful populace. At the gate, high upon a stage, was the sons of David. Highest of all was Amnon, the eldest of David's sons. Near him was the long-haired Absalom. Each of them were surrounded by their friends and admirers. Some of the men of the army bowed in honor of David's sons, while other men ignored them. Joab and Abishai claimed their places by the city gate and watched the rest of the army march by. Joab and Abishai each congratulated and applauded their men's bravery. You owe me two pieces, brother, Joab said to Abishai quietly. Abishai surrendered the gold pieces as men continued to rush by. The soldiers continued and the procession continued up to the city citadel. But Joab and Abishai stayed at the city gate receiving the last of the army. The crowds thinned, and Joab watched the sons of the king, namely the eldest Amnon and the long-haired charismatic Absalom. Amnon seemed an immature glutton, but aggressive in nature, and one would destroy the kingdom by sheer fleshly will, while Absalom came off attractive, impressive, and very persuasive, for many more men bowed and honored him over his elder brother. Just then, a beautiful woman appeared on the scene. But Joab knew the woman and refused to look upon her like other women, for she was Tamar, the daughter of David. Her long hair flowed as she ran through the gaps in the marching men to deliver a letter to her brother Absalom. Joab was pleased with his men, for he knew them and their habit, and even noticed some of the rough men from his army, who refused to even look up at her as she ran across the road, for she was royalty and a daughter of the king. But Joab noticed something that reviled him. When Absalom delighted in the approach and delivery of the letter from his sister Tamar, Joab was revolted when he saw a look in Amnon's eyes when he looked upon Tamar. 
for he had seen that look in many a plundered city, and when only discipline and the sword contained men who could not control their lust. Why was this spirit upon a prince, and Amnon, the eldest of David's sons, and the future king of Israel, and towards Tamar of all women, his sister? Joab's mind processed possibilities, dangers, fears of this Amnon. But as quick as Joab captured this dangerous intel through his experience with soldiers and discernment, more men arrived and desired his attention, and the last of the troops arrived, and the marching continued to the citadel. And as quick as Joab captured the dangerous look and eyes and the spirit that was over Amnon, and as quick as it rushed upon him, as quick as it rushed away to other matters. And for weeks on end, Joab would dismiss the memory and the dangers that he saw in Amnon's eyes until it was too late. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as disaster strikes David's house. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.